From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to startuphypeman.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone, born in Defiance, Ohio, raised in Angola, Indiana, and currently residing in St. John, Indiana, in the greater Chicagoland area. Please welcome the partner at Sales Empowerment Group, the sales drummer, Tony Lenhart! hey I needed to learn how to do a drum roll better, like with my mouth, right? Oh, that would have been, been perfect. That would have been per- I didn't even think about that. He is Tony Lenhart. He is the sales drummer. He is a partner at Sales Empowerment Group, which is a sales talent incubator helping find, train, and develop top-tier sales talent for companies of all sizes so they can ultimately grow their revenue. He goes by the moniker sales drummer because he's got a background in percussion, believe it or not. And he's actually someone, I've known Tony now for about seven or eight years, I think. And Tony and I actually perform in the same band. Uh, we're in a hip hop band together. Tony's also in like 90 other bands as well. And don't, I don't consider you cheating on me, don't worry. <laughs> so we're going to have a fun conversation today. Today's topic specifically in conversation is centered around transitioning out of founder-led sales. Tony, can you give our viewers an idea of why this is on your mind, why this is important to you? Yeah, absolutely, Rajan. Thanks so much for having me, man. Um, it's good to collaborate with you on the stage and now on the podcast. So why it's on the mind. Um, I've been doing my type of work for about eight years working with companies. And one of the first things I did when I got into the consulting world is I started mentoring at 1871, the local tech incubator, which obviously Chicagoland folks are going to know about. <clears throat> and that was always the big discussion when I was doing my office hours is all these founders coming in trying to just figure it out, whatever it was, right? Whether it was just growing sales or hiring that first rep. And I heard a lot of unfortunate stories about where people did try and bring in a quote unquote VP of sales and it just, it tanked on them. So it's something I just heard about again and again and again and again in the startup world. And then recently, just again, in the last five months of, of this craziness we're all in, I've been dealing uh, and working with some founder-led sales companies that are, you know, making that transition from, you know, being a, a one, two, three million dollar business and finally trying to find that right salesperson to take it to the next level. Yeah. I'm going to dive a whole lot more into this today, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit more about the man, the myth, the legend, Tony himself. Um, 
So this, this is funny because this show, or you and I being on the same podcast together, me interviewing you on my show is probably seven-ish years in the making. <laughs> I, I don't know how it took this long to finally get you on the show, but somehow it did. And here we are today in 2000. And, and I think the crazy thing, I still remember we met, I think it was in the Merchandise Mart Starbucks. Um, you had reached out because my first company, Idea Lemon, Somehow, your sister, I think, was on our newsletter. I don't know how. I don't think I've ever met your sister before. Nope. Yep. And then she just forwarded you one of our emails, and you're like, oh, you seem like cool guys. Want to meet? Was that, I, the, that was like the, the genesis of this whole relationship, right? Yep. And my sister's based out in LA. So props to you for getting to the coast with, with Idea Lemon at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was wild. She, was just, she appreciated what you were, we were putting out with, uh, with Martin and... Yeah, we, I, I had to connect with you. I thought that was, that was such a fascinating way we got introduced. And I, and I guess maybe it does make sense that it's taken us seven years to do the podcast because that day we talked about our music connection, like how we both were into music and you, you play drums, I rap, but then it still took another like three years after that for us to ever actually play together. So maybe that's just <laughs> how we do things I'm just on massive delay. <laughs> I want to know, and, and, and you and I know each other pretty well, and I know you've been on other shows where you talk about like how the idea of Sales Drummer came about. And I don't necessarily want you to go into the Sales Drummer moniker. Instead, I'm curious to know, um, I'm sure you see it. Uh, can you explain for our audience the connection between drumming and sales and, and how they're kind of like almost one in the same? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, one thing that, you know, the term drummer is an old school term for a salesperson back from the old West. When a, when a salesperson came into town, he'd literally bang on a drum so people knew it was there, right? I didn't know that when I started a newsletter called Sales Drummer 10 years ago. That wasn't the intention. It was just, it was kind of a, a nod of the hat to the old, my old man who was in sales and a drummer. But, you know, my thing has always been about teaching people how to, how to get in rhythm, get in lockstep with your audience, whoever that might be, right? So that, you know, that kind of saying of meeting people with where they are and you have to find that, that pace to drive the conversation. So I've always thought about that as, as like, how do you keep that beat going with people um, and, get, and, and get on the same page, right? Singing off the same sheet of music would be another euphemism you hear people use. Do, do you think as well, like within that metaphor, um, and this, uh, this is where I'll kind of show my hand of not necessarily knowing the, the, the details of percussion, but like, I know there's like upbeat and downbeat. Do you, is that, is there a comparison between like what that is versus elements of sales? Or am I trying to stretch that too far? <clears throat> you might be stretching a little too far, but one thing I will tell you is like a lot of people in sales know the word cadence, right? And a cadence is what, what, where I <laughs> growing up, it's like, that's what you played in marching band when the marching, right? The drummers play a cadence. And when a cadence, what do you have? You have the notes that you play, you have the speed and tempo that you play it at, right? And so those yeah. things, when I'm building a cadence with reps, I mean, I talk about those things, right? What are all the different things? What type of style is it? What type of industry you're going for? Right? So there's plenty of parallels there between um, rhythm and percussion and, and the way of a salesman. I think uh, you're due for a book titled Sell Like a Drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, hold on, I gotta start making notes. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know Tony, you may also not know that this man has been to so many concerts that he actually has wall art in his house of all the like of all the different ticket stubs from shows you've been to, as well as not just by yourself but with your wife Lindsay. Um, do you have a count of how many 
concerts or shows you have been to in your life or even just adult life? Yeah. Um, you know what? I actually started tracking it when Lindsay and I started dating. And before we got married, which was now nine years ago, we had been to 65 concerts together in like three years of us dating. And then I just totaled it up because our 10 year anniversary is coming up. And the time we've been married, we've been to another like 72 shows within nine years. So that just tells you what having kids does to your concert life. But you know, <laughs> 65 over that's three. Still, that's still impressive. That's still not bad, right? Um, yeah, so I'd call it in the last like, you know, 11 or 12 years, uh, about a, you know, what is that, 135, 140 shows. Um, some of those, a lot of those being festivals. So seeing a yeah. lot of different bands. So yeah. Yeah, which man, technically you I, could also, you could even qualify as like 25 shows in like two right. days. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, man, I know it's been a hard summer, right? With COVID. It's so yeah. sad what's happening with the music scene. And, um, obviously Chicago land. I mean, there's always like four festivals a weekend in right. the summertime. And, uh, I just, you know, I defected to Indiana about four years ago after a long <laughs> tenure in the city. Um, but it just, it still makes me sad, even though it's, it's not around the corner from me. Yeah. I mean, if anything, we should be, COVID should be respectful of your concert record and, and not, <laughs> not put a hit. It's, it, it's like, you know, it's like Greg Maddox had his 300 wins. It's like, you're trying to get to 300 concerts. You can't have your season. Short. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you and I need to record a digital show and then we'll. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would be fun. Uh, and we probably, and we definitely should do that. Best show you have ever been to? Oh man. Well, uh, if I had to pick one, it is probably going to be LCD sound system at Metro, uh, on their farewell tour. They did like in 2016, um, small club, Metro's huge awesome. sound and energy from LCD sound system. Uh, it was just absolutely lights out. Yeah. I, yeah. And I remember you've, you've told me about that before, aside from like the fact that it was a small venue, can you talk through like what almost like give us like the sensory experience of being there? <laughs> well, if you know LCD sound system, their songs really build, right? They almost take like what a single DJ would do and transpose it into a live, <laughs> you know, a live experience with eight people in the band. Um, so just the talk about like the, just the steamrolling energy that they produce. Um, through the cacophony of of sound that they're producing, right? With all the different instrumentals. And then you have, you know, this chubby middle-aged white guy out front and James Murphy, who you'd look at and go, who is the, why is dad on stage? (laughs) And then, you know, he's just frenetic energy as he gets going. Um, I don't know if there's a quick snapshot of it, but I mean, it just the ebbs and flows and ups and downs of uh, that they take you through are, are, are pretty dynamic. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because any artist who a person might be familiar with, the second that artist's name is mentioned, something starts playing in your head, like if, if you've heard their music before. And to me, when you said it here, and just generally speaking, anytime I hear L- the, the name LCD Sound System said, what I think of is progressive, like music that builds, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's not like yeah. I think of like one particular song, I just think of like that idea of music building. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, just... Uh, search for all my friends look up all my friends by lcd and that is like talk about a train pulling out of the station and humming down the tracks at 120 miles an hour when it's all said and done that'll be my drive home music today yeah for sure (laughs) um and i'll just keep getting i'll just keep putting 40 50 60 70 miles per hour (laughs) 
So, uh, and uh, Tony and his wife, Lindsay, are such big fans of music. You even named your first daughter after Bob Marley. You named her Marley. Your second daughter is Hazel, presumably not after Sister Hazel, but that's, that's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I do that's call better. her that on occasion. <laughs> um, so this idea of the sensory experience and, and building up, I think that's what we're here to talk about today, which is the transition out of founder-led sales, which is, which is two things. It's, it's a need to build up your organization progressively and also be able to deliver a certain experience for the buyer in the process and create a certain experience on behalf of your growing organization at the same time. So with that said, again, topic today is transitioning out of founder-led sales. To me, I think there are two types of founders. There is the founder who actually loves selling, and there's the founder who wants nothing to do with sales. Like maybe they're like the engineer or the product person. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start with the first group, the founders who love to sell. If I am this person and I love to sell, when is it the right time to be thinking about transitioning beyond myself and adding either a VP of sales or a team member? And by the way, should I first go for just a sales rep or should I get a VP of sales first? Yeah. A <clears throat> um, lot, of, lot of micro questions within that one. Um, you know, the first thing that came to, comes to mind is, Think about it once you've been able to sell it to a stranger. Right? Like, I mean, a lot of founders, it's like friends, family, investors, referral, you know, yeah. they've, they've gotten that. Um, but no, I think, you know, at its core, of course, a lot of times it comes down to money, right? Whether you're, whether you have, you know, a, a round of angel funding or, or seed money um, or not, right? Or whether you're bootstrapping, you've got to be able to afford to pay, pay that person, right? That's going to be your first, like, can I actually afford a salesperson is the question of, um, again, at the core that people are going to be asking themselves. You know, your last question is like, do you go out and get a VP of sales or do you, you get, you know, an entry level? And, you know, within there, there's a lot of variables, right? Now, I mentioned earlier, I met a lot of founders who tried to go out and hire that VP of sales and it died on the vine because you look at it, the average tenure of a VP of sales, and we'll probably talk more about this later, is less than 18 months. Don't stick around for one reason or another, right? Um, so when you're considering what type of salesperson to hire, I'm thinking about a lot of different things. I'm thinking about the size of my deals, the target and titles and the industry, the deal velocity of how, how fast are those deals gonna close, right? Are you closing a lot of small deals or a very few number of really large deals, right? These are all factors, right, in the cadence of you hiring somebody. So what I suggest, if you are selling higher ticket items is, and I'm working with other founders on this right now, is find people that can take care of maybe those non-core things outside of the sales cycle, meaning the front end of like a BDR, business development rep type role to tee up opportunities, and then maybe somebody on the back end that's going to take over implementation or customer service or whatever you're going to call it on the back end. Because, and this will be my last point, and I'd love your thoughts on it. At the end of the day, that, that founder who's the sales guy or sales gal, nobody is going to sell it like you do. Nobody. Yeah, which you're right about that. And, and I think that's a gift and a curse. Because Absolutely. You, like, you have like the gumption as the creator of it. And you know, all the way, if you're good at it, you know, the ways you can like take a conversation 
But then it becomes like, well, how do I get someone else to do that who doesn't, who didn't build it, who doesn't know it as well as I do? And then, and I, and I think the trap, I guess you tell me if it's a trap, um, is when they start to make that search for the next person, they look for a replica of themselves. Like they, they're trying to like Dr. Evil mini me the situation. Right. And I don't know if that's the best thing because A, I think if you look for someone who's just like yourself, you're constantly grading them on their ability to be you. <laughs> which they're never going to be and they'll always yep. be an inadequate version of you and B yep. I also think it, it, I mean from a more um, kind of like thematic perspective it just naturally builds an organization that starts with bias <laughs> yeah and you said it right that that owner's not going to have maybe the, the respect or, or for that that sales rep if they don't do it just like they did it and yeah and I've seen it happen well, and I think it speaks to um, one, one of the challenges I have seen in some teams is when the founder or founding team starts to like build out whatever their sales material is supposed to be, they are perhaps rightfully or wrongly, they're building out in the way that like the founder exactly did it, but it's not necessarily teachable, like the way the founder did it, right? Right. Yeah. So with that, like with respect to that, like how should the founder go about like preparing and organizing and like building out this sales process or playbook? There's a lot of components to that playbook, right? I think the one, what, one thing I'm working on with clients a lot these days is, and you, you see people posting about a lot on LinkedIn is your ideal client profile. The more narrow focus you can get on identifying who you want to be your clients that is going to enable this new salesperson to hyper-focus their efforts on their best possible clients and best possible outcomes, right? They're going to increase their close percentages and every, every statistic across the board if the owner can get that down. So where I'm going with this, as far as documenting this mini sales playbook, yeah, you want to get your messaging in there. And I think establishing core values to be able to make decision making should be established and in there. And of course you hire toward that. Um, but that's one of the biggest things is really get crystal clear on that target audience. Cause as I joked about earlier, like once you sold it to a stranger, now you might have, you have something here, right? You've taken somebody from nothing to customer status. Um, what other, I guess, metrics or elements of the playbook should be built out in addition to the, ideal customer profile? Yeah. Um, uh, part of playbooks um, that I've been building recently, I have the owner actually record video of themselves telling their origin story mm. in the background of the company and kind of how they tell the company's story in the background. That's huge, right? So the reps can just keep replaying it, replaying it, get that down so they can get close to that, you know, close to kind of presenting it like, like the owner would. Certainly, having your product knowledge and things like that. But I also like to include any type of third party, third party data, outside data that can speak to my solution, right? Any, anybody that can validate what I'm going out in the market to do. That's not just my own mouthpiece saying it um, provides a lot of weight, especially in the early stages of, you know, sales outreach and validation and going through that process and buyer's journey with somebody. Um, <laughs> You know, and maybe the, uh, in the in the cliff notes of the show, Raj, I'd be happy to like put together like almost like a punch list of like here are the twenty five things to put in a playbook. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we can throw it on our website when the, where the uh, where this is the should the episode is posted. 
Yeah. I, I guess when we think about building out these elements of the playbook, is it on the founder or founding team to have all of this developed and ready like for day one of the new hire or should they have it developed and ready while they're interviewing or should all of this be developed and ready before they even like think about posting the job listing? I think they need to have some of it together because I'll tell you what, like if I'm trying to recruit a high quality person, they're going to be asking me some good questions around what do I have prepared? What have I done? Right. And if I can't look them in the eye and say, Hey, you know what, actually I've thought about this. I've documented it. I've understood where the pitfalls are. I have some case studies that I can share with you. Right. I have things that I can teach you the what and the how and the why behind everything we're doing. Yeah. You're not going to have every T and every T crossed and I dotted, but you should have some sort of framework, right? I'm not telling founders I need to build a 50 page playbook. I don't care if it's 10 pages, just like think about your wins. What are the lessons that you've learned as you've gone out there into the market yourself? Yeah. Right. It can't just, you know, be hearsay and like, like random stories. Like I think it's good to have that down. So yeah, you should, you should have some of it. The, uh, that point about doesn't need to be like a 50 page thing. The playbooks that I build for a company, I call them story stacks, um, but, but they're, they're playbooks and it's a Google drive folder with documents and PowerPoint files. And I think a lot of people think like, no, you need to have like this like clean binder thing, but that's also not easily like reference. Like you need, the stuff needs to be easily referenceable and accessible for the team and like copy pasteable when necessary. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, most, I mean, again, founders listen to this. I mean, think about it. What, what do you really have? Um, you know, but you need to, have something down and, you know, maybe we'll get the tech stack later. That's another just cardinal sin. If you don't, if you don't have a CRM, just start, do it early. Don't wait yeah. <laughs> on, on that component of it. I, I, that's an interesting, it's actually a, I'm glad you touched on that because I used to be of the mindset of like, don't spend on things until they are absolutely necessary. And in the last couple of years, I've transitioned away from that into no, start spending before you before it's necessary, because otherwise you it's really easy to keep putting off making that decision. Be like, no, we'll just get a few more dollars of revenue in, and then we'll buy that. We'll buy HubSpot or whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. or you know, we can keep using the spreadsheet, what you know, Gmail method because it's working good enough. And you don't build like. I get there is the argument we made for like frugality, but I also don't think you build lasting, thriving, successful organizations with a mindset of let's go with good enough. Yeah, and then you get into the situation where you get bad, sloppy data. Um, yeah, and again, everything's a little bit different, right? Big deal, a, a few amount of big deals or tons and tons of tiny deals. CRM is going to make it like those people that I see that they don't sell a lot of deals; they just sell a few big deals. They look at it and go, ah, I don't need a CRM. It's like no, you, you absolutely do. And I think Zoho has a free version or nutshell. There's plenty that have a, you know, a freemium version and like MailChimp, you can have 2000 subscribers on and it's free. So like people shouldn't have an excuse, even if they're trying to be frugal, uh, you can find ways to, to still plug in some tech to. Yeah. To but you need something. I mean, I'm thinking back to, I, I bought pipe drive like two and a half years ago, probably, mm-hmm. uh, which is, for those who don't know, is a, is a CRM system and it tracks like deal flow pipeline and, and leads and all that stuff. Um, 
I prior to that, I was using a Excel spreadsheet to track like email campaigns and to track pipeline management. And I'm just like, I should have just from I, I I was being frugal at the beginning, having like in just starting this business, but I should have just been like, no, like let me actually get a head start on everything and just spend whatever it is, like the 40 bucks a month on pipe drive now. So that way I'm not delaying my success because I'm held back by slow processes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like that's one of the do overs I would, I would, of the many, that's one of the do overs I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious on, on the, we, we mentioned before the, uh, like, should it be BDR sales rep or should be hiring VP of sales? Let's say you're hiring for like sales leadership. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, how important is the ti- like what title you're giving, whether it's CRO or VP of sales or head of sales? Mm-hmm. How, how important is that in when you're giving out the, you know, put, posting this job and, and finding people? Yeah, I, um, I call myself sales drummer, Raj. So by just in and of itself, I don't take titles all that too seriously. But, you know, I guess it's a fair question as with that title with that title comes really big expectations, mm. right? You hire somebody as your CRO, your VP of sales, you're expecting them to come in and be a powerhouse and just change the game. Right? So there is the weight of the world on those, on those shoulders. Now I, again, after hearing several sagas of people struggling with this position, I look at it and say, Hire somebody as that account exec or a, or a director of sales if title is important, they want a little something. But at the end of the day, I've seen people who have been hired as VP of sales, and you know what they become? Glorified BDR, account full site, full yeah. sale. And that's what they, you know, they have to go out and, and do it because they're it. Yeah. So the, I think the title of VP is, it's like all bankers are VPs. It's, it's yeah, ridiculous. yeah. Right? So um, I'd like to see somebody come in that's, you know, young, hungry, has something to prove and have them earn a bigger title. Because again, you look at somebody at a VP of sales, they have that weight on it, they're expected to know everything. Let's say there's 10 core competencies of a CRO that they need to have. They're probably good at maybe four or five of them. They're really, really good at four or five of them. Then there's this huge gap that, hey, you're a VP of sales, figure it out. And then yeah. there's, you know, it creates tension and that's why you see the tenure, like I said, it's under 18 months. And then you have somebody that's been building all this momentum and then they leave and you're back to square one and you're back to being the founder that has to go out and sell. I have two follow-up questions to that. One is if I'm the person interviewing, how important should title be? Like, I think you gave it from the perspective of like the founder, like interviewing people. Now, if I'm the person interviewing, how important should that title be to me? And as the founder, how much should I be like grading that or judging that person? Let's be real based on what they want the title to be. Yeah. They're chasing the title. I hate it. It's every time I talk to, you know, a follow up after an interview with an owner or something that always gets under people's skin about the title. Usually mm. like, Oh, they, that maybe they advertise for one, but they want something else. I guess I get it. I don't know. I guess I've just been there, done that, bought the t-shirt again, title. Like <laughs> I had different multiple titles at ADP when I worked there for years, but I shouldn't like, cultural fit, compensation package, alignment with the vision and the passion for the industry and the company be more important than what you're going to be called. Yeah. 
Yes, it should be, right? Those are the <laughs> things I'm worried about. If somebody starts getting, now maybe it's a final little twist in the negotiation of, a, of a, an employment agreement of like, well, what's the title going to be and what's that mean? But out of the gates, man, there's so many yeah. more important factors that you need to be you know, thinking about and considering. And again, just you know, the core of this whole episode of do I go out and hire that VP of sales? Many factors, but my vote is no, because they're going to become a glorified salesperson. And that's ultimately what you need. Somebody that's going to come in with the hustle to prove it and earn it. Yeah. I think it will tell you a lot about that potential hire. If they are really like, nope, I, I, I have to be head up. I have to be, I have to be chief revenue officer. Otherwise I can't take this job. Cause then I don't know if, you, if you're, if you're title chasing, I don't, I mean, I think it reflects poorly on like your commitment even. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it also goes toward ego, right? The old mm. you know, stereotypical salesperson are these, you know, big, big ego schmoozers and there's still plenty of those people in the sales world. But as we're starting to learn through a lot of published books are out there now and the times of COVID, like the more humble and vulnerable you are, the, the more powerful leader you can become, right? When you set yeah. ego aside and to me, somebody that's chasing that, that title uh, has, you know, maybe some issues there. The, the other follow-up question I had to this title topic is on the other side of the coin, have you heard that phrase power buys from power or power respects power? Um, sure. I, I don't know if, I, if I'm articulating it the right way, but I guess how important is it on the like prospect, like the, the, the potential customer who may be buying from this company, like to, to see that, VP of sales mm-hmm. is in that person's signature versus mm-hmm. account executive or versus business development manager, whatever that might be. Sure. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause you know, with our talent incubator and you know, we have all these BDRs and there is something, you know, when, when they're setting meetings and we say, Hey, we're, we'd like you to meet with our president, founder, CEO, executive, whatever power does respond to power in that sense. Um, when they're, when they're doing cold outreach like that. Yeah. Raj, you know, it's a fair point. Maybe title does make an, an impact on that side of it, right? And internally, I don't think it should matter because at the end of the day, you yeah. have to go out and do a job and grow sales, right? Call it whatever the hell you want. If you want to call yourself a sales drummer, steal it. I'm giving you permission. <laughs> no, you have, you got a trademark of the sales yeah, sure. drummer if you haven't already. All right, All right. back it up. Strike that. Gosh. If you want to call yourself sales saxophonist, you can. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I love this. We have a guy, one of my partners is really into wine. I'm like, dude, you need to call yourself the sales sommelier. Oh, yeah. I love um, that. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I no, I, I guess that kind of kind of stands on its own. There is something to that, I would say, when you're when you're doing outreach of people seeing that, um, that that you know could make a little bit of an impact, to help open up a door. I want to transition into so we've been talking about the scenario of the founder who wants to sell and is transitioning out of founder led sales. I want to take a little bit of time and talk about the other group, which is the founder who wants nothing to do with sales from the start. Yeah. Uh, before I do that, though, quick aside, this is an entirely sales-focused conversation, which means you should probably, listeners, be familiar with Sales Hacker. If you're not already, where have you been? Have you been under a rock? Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It's over 135,000 members deep which means whether you're that founder who's selling right now or perhaps transitioning out of founder-led sales or you're that CEO or you're that head of sales who just got hired to scale the company 
or you're that BDR who's doing the frontline work on behalf of the founder or your full team. Sales Hacker is there to help you get better at your job, period. How? Podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including Lemois. Every now and then, I'm a contributor on Sales Hacker. It is an awesome archive of content and a constantly updating archive of content at that. And they've just released a brand new community feature where you can create an account with Sales Hacker and it's totally free. Uh, but I'll also get involved in discussions on the website with the content there. They've recently even added uh, Reddit-like AMAs, Ask Me Anythings to the site where people are posting their um, questions or, or doing like Ask Me Anythings about their job, their advice, things like that. It's really cool. It's all available for free at saleshacker.com. Again, you can join that community and get access to the articles, the podcast, the research, the webinars, the Ask Me Anythings, the discussion boards. All that and more at www.salesHacker.com. I also want to take a second here and talk about a lot of things, a, a big aspect that's important in the sales funnel, which is the top of funnel outreach. And that's what this summer has been all about for Blissful Prospecting and the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. Jason Bay, who kicked off this season of the show, the co-founder of Blissful Prospecting, has set out to create the sales edition of Lollapalooza. That's over 40 sales experts and practitioners over a course of about 105 days, two to three live interactive talks per week, all on Zoom, on different aspects of making you better at prospecting, drumming up sales like Tony is the sales drummer. So if you want to know how to send better cold emails, if you want to know how to do better cold calls, or you're thinking about how to do better research on your prospects, if you want to not feel so crappy day to day because people aren't responding and need a mindset hacker or need some productivity tips or personal branding, all of that is coming to you in the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. I recently had my session. It went awesome. And it was really cool to be able to interact live with everybody on the chat and just really just dive deep into people's personal use cases. The Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour is entirely free. All you have to do is go to tour.blissfulprospecting.com and you can sign up for as many or as few talks as you'd like. It runs through early October, tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And, the, and the, the data shows that the average attendee is signing up for 15.67 total talks. So you can sign up for one or 15.67 or the, the remaining lot entirely, tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Today we are with my friend Tony Lenhart, the sales drummer, partner at Sales Empowerment Group, and we're talking transitioning out of founder-led sales. So before the break, Tony, I mentioned I want to talk about Group B of founders, which is the founder who wants nothing to do with sales from the start. What, I guess, from your lens, what is like the makeup of this person? The founder who wants nothing to do with scales, like what's, I guess, like behavior traits, attitude, skill set, et cetera. What does this person like look like and feel like to you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the first thing that comes to mind uh, is usually they're, they're technical. They're technical founders that maybe they're designed it, right? They're more on the, uh, on that side of the house. Now, you could have the super visionary, gregarious sales guy that is done playing the game and is looking so far ahead, he doesn't want to get in the weeds. I see those two that don't want to do it. But typically, the people that are not the salesperson, they're the more technical side, and they don't believe they're a good salesperson. <clears throat> they don't want to be the face of the company, right? They just, 
they just flat out don't like it. Sales is a, is a four letter word, not a five letter <laughs> word. So um, that's typically what I see. And that in and of itself, if they have that mindset of, listen, I'm not the guy, this isn't for me, that in and of itself will, will kill any um, chance that they're going to do it. Right? <laughs> if, they, if you don't believe yourself that you can do it, you're not going to do it. Um, okay. So that, I guess with, with, with that in mind, what would you say are like the not, like, if you're talking directly to that, that founder who like is like sales, a four letter word, and you're like trying to get this person's mind right. And you're like, okay, founder, these are the non-negotiables before you can go out and hire someone to take this on for you. What are you like telling him or her is the, uh, is the non-negotiable set? Mm-hmm. Well, um, some things we talked about earlier, document and understand the basics, right? Size of your deals, target industry, titles, deal velocity, like have that framework to be able to, I guess, do the math of, of, of having to hire and then be able to show to somebody. That's one. Let's do this, actually. Um, Let's act like I'm the founder here and I'm going to be like kind of like bratty about the things you're giving me advice on. <laughs> so, okay. So you, so you said that. My, my response is... Ah, uh, I don't know. It seems like a lot of work though. And wouldn't it just make more sense for an experienced salesperson to figure all that stuff out? <laughs> well, if they're, you know what, if they're coming from a different industry and a completely different uh, world, how do you expect them to know those things? If you don't know it yourself, you're the owner of the company. But dad. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Your, maybe I'm the owner of the company, but uh, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't want to talk to customers. Yeah. Well, why don't, why don't you want to talk to your customers? Well, cause I'm the product person. <laughs> then who better to, to, you know, go out and, and tell those people are going to be using your product, how wonderful and how great it will work. Right. And again, Raj, I'm going to take you time out from our role play here and say, this also goes to the titles of the people you're selling to. Are you selling to sales and marketing people? Are you selling to it? Are you selling to operations? Who is it? Are you one of them? I see that a lot of times, right? Mm. A lot of times these founders are people that were on the other side of the table, right? In the trenches of the role of the person they're trying to solve the problem that they once had, then, oh my God, you're in the perfect position. One of my, one of my really good friends works for a company that sells us procurement software and he's always hated sales. His dad was in sales. He's like, I'm never going to be in sales. But the whole platform was built for procurement guys and he's a procurement guy. Well, guess what? When he goes into a room and looks at him across the table and goes, I know your issues, guess what? Guess what role he's playing now at the company? He's the VP of sales. Hmm. He was customer success, but they realized like nobody can go out and do it like this guy can. I don't want to name names. Yeah. <laughs> well, so do you think it's perhaps like a, a, a mindset yes. framing then where it's like, you don't have to call it sales. Maybe it's like client research or something like that. Uh, and then it's maybe that makes it more, uh, I guess, graspable for the person who doesn't like the idea of sales. Yeah. Well, and let's go back to your original question of what, what should you, what should you have figured out? So I gave you a few things that you should have figured out and they should be able to rattle those things off. But again, I mentioned earlier too, defined core values as gushy as that might seem to some people. I'll tell you what, when you can get somebody that is in lockstep and believes in what you're believing not to drop a little Simon Sinek, but are, you know, that are there with you at that level, that is going to make the stickiness factor of that high or ultra important, especially if you're not a salesperson and they are a salesperson, which can be like water and oil sometimes, right? I used to go out, have to go out and network with accountants when I sold payroll service. That was a tough mm -hmm. one. But it's like having defined core values documented and understood and shared with that person 
Um, I think that is a non-negotiable that you have to have down that you need to share within the interview process when you're onboarding somebody. It's really important. Well, that totally seems doable, like being able to talk about your own core values. I mean, I, I think for anyone who's like scared of this kind of stuff, that, that seems to me like a very, not, not simple, but a very like, oh yeah, I could get behind talk, you know, figuring that part out. Because yeah. it's, it's just kind of like your belief system. Yeah. And then, you know, the other is like, just let's think about the sales math going to the, one of the earlier things of like, can you afford this person? It's like, okay, let's understand average deal size margins within there, what your kind of historical close rate has been, if you can even calculate that. And then you can start backing into the type of math of what this person's going to have to do on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis. Because one thing I share with founders too, and this is an important thing to realize is if you break even in the first year on a sales hire, congratulations, you did a good job. If you break even on somebody, a lot of founders don't like to hear that, but it's the sad truth and reality. A lot of times, if you can at least cover your cost basis of salary and overhead of an initial 25 or 30%, um, you might, you probably have it, hopefully have a keeper. Right? <laughs> um, again, a lot of factors in that with the size of your deals and things and margins, but that's what, you know, I've seen plenty of people lose their ass on the sales side and they have to like of them and then they're back to square one. And now, I mean, you look at cost of a cost of a bad hire. There's plenty of data out there. I want to ask a couple more questions and then we'll hit our wrap up. If I'm the founder and I've brought on that first hire, whether it's VP or business development rep or whatever, if things aren't going well, mm. how can I discern between bad hire slash bad fit or I didn't set them up to be successful. <laughs> yeah, um, man, on the, on, the, on the bad hire, bad fit, again, shame on you for maybe not having some things on up in your interview process, but you never know until somebody gets in there and you're working with them, right, 40 hours a week. Well, um, especially because good salespeople are good at selling themselves yeah, and right. in an interview with that. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think it's important to have like some sort of an onboarding roadmap laid out of a 30, 60, 90 day check. And I'm all about the, one of the biggest things I have to work on with companies is improving communication and removing roadblocks. And when you have a good onboarding plan, it's a way to improve communication around expectations and remove any potential roadblocks so they have really good momentum, right? So I guess there's one answer to your question is have that onboarding plan to map out. So like one example is, hey, at the 30-day mark, they need to be able to present to you, a, you know, the 10-minute the company overview as if they were on a prospect call, right? And role play that. So you eventually start doing that every week with them until you feel comfortable as the founder, they can go out and do it, that you could wake them up at two o'clock in the morning and say, tell me about my company, right? And they could go yeah. into the spiel. Um, sometimes they don't do that. Another thing I'm looking at is, you know, leading indicators of just general activity metrics. And I'm not talking calls and emails and things like that. That should be a given. I'm talking about true net new meetings with, you know, partners or prospects, networking, things like that. I'm looking at that type of early on activity to see what type of traction they're getting. Um, and again, I can't believe I keep going back to this, but just the uh, are you selling a few big deals or a lot of small yeah. deals? You under, that's why you have to understand it back to our role play. Um, so you can lay out that groundwork and show them here's what success looks like. So after 90 days, um, you should have a pretty good finger on the pulse of whether you have something that's going to be a long-term fit. And it sounds like within that 90 days or, or maybe shorter, you tell me, the expectation should not be that they are going to come in and start 
selling or closing deals like right away. Right. 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 It's like, have you given them the time to succeed or fail based on your deal velocity? Right. I mean, some owners might be in a position where like, holy shit, I have so many inbound leads coming in. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I'll take that job. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? If, if it's like, hey, you got to go out and hunt. There's not that many deals out there. And it's like after 90 days, they don't have anything to flip on. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> That's funny. I was actually just talking to a founder yesterday who's going to be a guest on in a later episode this season, uh-huh. uh, David Abrams from Demio. And he was telling me how with COVID, they're a virtual webinar software. And he was like, my God, he was like, I'm so thankful. Like COVID hit and we had so many leads. We had to like turn off like our like inbound <laughs> engine because we couldn't, he's like, our systems were breaking because we couldn't handle <laughs> the, the lead <laughs> flow and the amount of customers. Oh, and he was, just, he was just like super like grateful that that was the case. But like, that's kind of the situation that, that was happening that you were describing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's beautiful. So yeah, I mean, for there, maybe you do need a full on VP of sales or yeah, CRO, yeah. Like, like, like make sense of it all. Okay. My last question here before we hit our wrap up is, so we just talked about how the founder can discern between bad hire or, you know, bad fit versus I didn't set them up to be successful. Let's take the other side of that table uh, as this newly brought on VP of sales or, or account executive, whatever my title is, what kinds of questions should I be asking in the interview process to understand if this is a role where I'm set up to fail or not? And then once I have, let's say uh, those things checked out, once I've started with the company, what are the things I need to be like paying attention to or even other questions I should be asking to be like, wait, wait, did I get sold snake oil here as, as the person coming out um, into this company? Yeah. I always like to get, um, you know, when I've, and I've interviewed for those jobs actually in the past. So it's like, I'd like to understand the existing client base, what, what its makeup is and where it's come from. I think that's a huge one. Uh, at a at a bigger forty thousand view, understanding the the vision not only for the company but for the role, understanding what the you know I want to see how um, intuitive and I guess uh, self aware the owner is and asking them like hey what don't you have that you need to have at this company like how am I going to complement your skill set and us working together mm. and I guess it would be a red flag if they are not able to produce good answers for those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Going back to like, you know, our last half an hour of what, what, what an owner needs to have in place to yeah. tee up themselves, you know, themselves personally and that higher up for success. Um, once I'm on the job, what would be things that I was like, wait, eh, something doesn't seem right here. Yeah. Well, best advice my, my old man ever gave me is trust your gut. Right. So when your spidey sense goes starts going off. It could be a myriad of, of different things, but you know, that's the other scary thing is when a founder's hiring for this role, because they've potentially maybe never had anybody in that role. So, you know, the founder might not know what it's like day in, day out for this person to go out into the marketplace cold, right? And it goes back to having some of these tools. So if you're, if, if they, as the, the hire get out there and they, they don't have a CRM, they don't have case studies, they don't have any marketing materials, they don't have any air cover to support them. Um, and shame on everybody in that situation for not asking the right questions and doing the proper prep. With that said, you said on the founder side, like previously you said on the founder side, like 30, 60, 90 day plan, 90 days, you should have a pretty good idea. So then on the, the new hire side of it, if, if I just got brought into this company, uh, the whole like red flag things that might be coming up. Should I also give it 90 days or should I give it 
less than that or more than that? <laughs> um, and I know it's not like a blanket thing, but I guess um, from your experience yeah. and if you were to give suggestions anyway. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, I speak from personal experience. I actually quit ADP after four and a half years and I boomeranged and came back and I went to go work for this guy. And I knew on day three that I had made a huge mistake. Wow. <laughs> it's like Job from Arrested Dome. like, I knew, I was like, oh God, this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and a month later I was back at ADP. You know, um, so again, just that, that gut feeling. So gut, so gut's even strong. I guess on both sides, gut is really strong. Yeah. And you know, you, you'll hear a lot of experts and I'm not disagreeing that like, you know, they need to go something beyond their gut and, and be very formal and stringent with their, with their hiring process. And I agree. Yeah. But once you're there, man, if you don't, if, it, if it's looking like the tools um, are not there for you to succeed, you're going to know pretty quick. And that could be three days. It could be 90 days. Let's hit our wrap up. Where can our listeners find you, Tony, learn more about Sales Drummer as well as SEG? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, my firm, salesempowermentgroup.com. Um, yeah, the biggest piece of what we do is that talent incubator. So we've learned a lot of lessons on calling into a lot of different markets. Um, you can, of course, find me on LinkedIn, um, Tony Lenhart, L-E-N-H-A-R-T, and then um, Raj will drop a link into my monthly newsletter. Um, I, I promise it's harmless. Uh, but valuable, uh, and it's my kind of daily, or excuse me, monthly um, musings on sales and business and music um, from where I'm sitting. It's a cool newsletter. Um, you got like Thanks, random, man. like interesting quotes in there. You actually throw in like playlists you've been listening to as well. It's also with some sales advice. Um, I, it's funny, I've been meaning to, my personal Gmail is still subscribed, and my personal Gmail has so much crap that gets sent to it that I, and I just, I only check that inbox like every like seven to 10 days now, really that I keep missing your content and I keep needing to like unsubscribe from that and subscribe from my hype man email. But then I'm always like, in my mind, I'm like, wait, but I also need to do it when I can text him and be like, Hey, just so you know, I didn't unsubscribe to your thing. I'm just resubscribing <laughs> right. with a different address. Right. Chipping away at my ego, my fragile yeah. ego. <laughs> Cause I mean, if you're like me, you, you see who unsubscribes oh, and you're like, Oh, fuck. Yep. It. <laughs> yeah. It's the first thing I look at sadly. Why does, why does your mind do that? I know. I want to call up and be like, Hey, come on, aren't we friends? <laughs> um, all right. So then to wrap up, we'll each do top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Topic today was transitioning out of founder led sales. Uh, to me, and this is actually something that, uh, I am working on right now. Um, uh, I'm starting to consider potentially bringing on a salesperson of some capacity, whether it's prospecting or, or full cycle. And I, I don't, I don't yet have a timeline on it or anything, but all the things you said around like, ICP, um, documenting what the sales process looks like, everything like that. I'm doing that now, like progressively before. So, so I'm not in like a crunch. Oh, I have to figure this out in two days situation. And it's harder. It's hard to do it progressively when there's not like a, you know, a pressing like deadline on you. So the little like hack that I've found is like everyone works, work styles different. But for me, it's really hard for me to just sit down and be like, oh, well, this is something I, I know I need to get done. So let me spend two hours today doing it. Instead, what I've done is like just finding like trigger events to work on the thing. So like, yeah. oh, I have a client meeting come up. Why don't I prepare what a meeting prep doc is supposed to look like for this actual meeting? And then I can template it. 
Totally. Yeah. Or, or, you know, now in the days since everybody's on zoom, record the session, right? And yeah. Archive it if you have a really good prospect call or something. Tony, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners today? Yeah. Uh, you nailed the first one, Raj. Document what has worked, right? It doesn't need to be 50 pages. It just start in a, in a, your Google drive and start putting down those wins and actually those losses, right? Document what hasn't worked. So people don't mm-hmm. fall in the same, same pitfalls. Um, we talked about starting a CRM early, I think it's huge. And then if you're looking to really bring on your first salesperson, you know, my advice is don't start with the VP of sales or a CRO. Start somebody that's going to roll up their sleeves, get in the trenches, be hungry, and do that top of the funnel work that's so critical uh, with growing a company. Awesome. Um, and, and one more thing I want to add to that too. And again, I'm speaking from personal experience here and doing a lot of this right now. It's amazing once you document something, how you start to see like the holes that you didn't realize were in your own, you know, when the processes are only in your head, you didn't, you never realize like, oh wait, I should probably have something for that. And I've been even like, it's not that I just wrote it once and I'm like, okay, I figured it out. I'm like, well, what if for the next meeting I tweak this part? How might that change? And then you start to like create the like, you know, like the ultimate like tailored and and, like mastered version because you have something to compare against. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just doing quick self debriefs after you, you know, you have yeah. a call as a founder and sales is like, what went well, what didn't go well, what am I going to do next time? Yep. My final question for you, Tony, which is how we end every episode of this show, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Hard to spell and not for everyone. I like that. <laughs> I, I don't even need you to, to clarify that. <laughs> Hard to spell. <laughs> That's funny, actually, because we uh, on like the Instagram account for Startup Hype Man, uh, when my media coordinator is putting this stuff together, and we'll create like a a, a photo for like entrepreneurship is every yeah. time I'm like, is it spelled right or no? Oh man, it, you get the red squiggly line and right click every time. It's like, <laughs> just, just going to happen. Let go. I have to do that with Tony Lenhart. He is the sales drummer. Tony, thank you for joining today on the show. I'm glad we could do it seven years after meeting and hopefully we'll do the next one with you way sooner than seven years from today. (laughs) It's a pleasure, Raj. Good to see you, brother. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.